To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. All right, that's a finally. Um, I thought it was a wrap on my intro, but I guess I have to do an ending too. It's hilarious. Uh, man, what a great podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed that one with Sam Davis. He's got, uh, uh, you know, such great bow hunting tips, just the way he thinks about it and the way he describes it. Man, I just absolutely love getting together with guys like that and talking bow hunting. So, um, thanks to Sam for being on the podcast and sharing so much information. Uh, Sam's going to be a regular on the podcast. I'm going to check back in with him. The guy is, um, he's just an absolute killer and doing it all blue collar and then talks about, you know, his family and his bow hunting are the two most important things. So, um, we're definitely cut from the same cloth. So I really enjoyed it. I hope you guys did too. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors for the show. I want to thank Matthews Bows. Again, I just think Matthews is building the best bows going. And I I thought the Verdicts last year, that one was going to be a hard one to top. That was my absolute favorite bow I'd ever owned. And uh, they did it. They topped it this year with the VR, VXR. Um, that bow is just a shooter. So forgiving. Um, I like the, I got the longer axle to axle. So they offer it in a 28 and a half or a 31 and a half. Um, so I ended up getting that longer bow, just a little bit more forgiving, but, um, man, that thing is a shooter. Um, it's quiet, uh, no hand shocks. It's good at full draw, easy to tune. Um, so if you're in the market for a, for a new bow, make sure to check Matthews out and at least fire a few arrows through them and see what fits you best. Uh, thanks to Matthews for their continued support. Uh, I also want to thank Onyx. Um, Man, uh, I would be using Onyx uh, no matter what. I absolutely love that program. Being able to mark waypoints and pre-scout and get a hunt plan. Being able to see private, public, know where I'm at. Being able to see land ownership, topography. Being able to see satellite imagery. Uh, it just offers so much. And so I use it for, for scouting, making a hunt plan. I use it on the hunt. Um, you know, you can adapt in real time as you find deer in a location, you can kind of transpose, you know, that location, the way the side hill faces or the cover or the canyon that it's in, and then kind of look for similar features. And, and then once you go to those similar features, it just seems like you turn up more deer and more elk. So it's just a absolute awesome uh, platform. Um, I love using it on, you know, once you're a subscriber to OnX, you can use it on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. $99 will get you a membership to all 50 states for a year. And, um, or if you're just going to plan it on hunting one state, uh, you can pick up, uh, those states individually as well. Um, just a great program and thanks to Onyx for their support. And with that, now we're doing the ending. Uh, so, um, yeah, the, the, uh, make sure to check out the Eastman's, the Beyond the Grid, um, the Eastman's Hunting TV, uh, the magazine, um, some great articles coming out in there. Uh, I know my buddy Dan turned in a bunch of photos and turned in an article on his Wyoming hunt, that one that we did the live hunt on. Uh, it's 
you know, I've already read it. Spoiler alert, he kills a big deer, but uh, it's an awesome article and should be just an awesome layout with all those photos. So I'm excited to see that in the magazine. That'll be coming up soon. Um, yeah, I've got another project I'm working on for Spring Bears for that one that should be a good article. Um, it's, it's just great content, you know, um, from our subscriber stories to our pro staff stories to the MRS section. It's an absolute deal uh, for a yearly subscription of that. So Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. And with that, now I'm doing the ending. I'm going to go pack my stuff here, and we're going to get on the road. I It is 45 degrees here in Montana, and I, I got this fishing spot that's so hot right now, these couple holes. So we might throw the rods and the waders in and fish for an hour or so on our way out of town. But I know we've got 20 hours of driving in front of us, but maybe we just push an extra hour at night or whatever. But um, warm weather, I just can't help myself. It's uh, a good time to be outdoors and enjoy it. So we may stop off and do that, but, uh, I'll make sure to record, uh, a live podcast or we'll do an IG story. We'll do something while we're down there and, uh, hopefully we'll be coming back with a couple big bucks. So thanks as always guys for all the support. I love doing this podcast. Uh, you guys are the reason why this thing works. So, uh, thank you and, uh, check in with you next week. Yeah, dude, you're killer with your bow. <laughs> Try it. Look, chase, and I guess this, uh, I've done, that's all I've done since I was uh, 15 years old is bow hunted. So that's, and that's all you got in your hands. I guess that's what you learn how to do, just like you, man. <laughs> dude, good for you. Um, that commitment to the bow, uh, it pays such dividends in the long run, doesn't it? When that's the only weapon you have, you get really good at it. It is, and it's one of those things like I've stuck to. Like uh, I, I shot a bull elk in 2006 with my rifle, and in that whole period from when I was 15 years old, that's the only thing I've shot with a rifle in all those years. It was uh, I, it was the first year I started guiding hunters, and I guided a whole bunch, and I was too scared to ask for time after an archery season. I never made it bow hunting, so I ended up having to go out the last three days of October and. Uh, I ended up killing the bull with my rifle. I had my bow with me, and I shot the bull at 35 yards on Halloween day. But I left my bow because I was like, I don't think I'll be able to get close enough to him. I want to get an elk. And 35 yards, he was raking a tree on October 31st, and I shot him. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah, you're right. It's just totally you get you get uh, the commitment to the bow is one thing. And people to say they're bow hunters is, is another. But to, like, to stick to it and just always have that motivation in my head, I – when I look at something, I never look at a stock as a, uh, it's always like, can I get, you know, sub 40 yards? That's, I never think about 200 yards. It's like, can I get, where would I go if I had to get, you know, within 40 yards? That's kind of always my game plan, everything I look at. So, uh, yeah, you, you don't think of anything else. It's just, I guess your mind just morphs into this, just bow hunting. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I love it. I live for it. It's, it's, what I, it's what I live for. Take care of my family and bow hunting. <laughs> Dude, that's the best. Well, um, I'm just going to get right into it Like as I kind of interview. If we have to stop or start over, if the connection isn't good, we will. But um, it's just such a great conversation to start with. Um, commitment to that bow, that's wild. So your last rifle animal, or your only rifle animal, was 2006, being just yards away from 35 yards, you said? Yeah, it was 35 yards. I shot a bull. I shot a bull. Literally had my bow with me that day and the rifle. And they were across this big, it was on the face, a big steep 
thousand foot climb there at the top of it. And I just able to get close enough and so i left the bow and i took off with the rifle and i ended up shooting him at 35 yards but since 2006 i haven't shot anything with a gun that was and before that i hadn't shot anything with a gun since 2000 probably the year 2000 so yeah it's been a long long career of bow hunting for me Man, um, yeah, I think that's why I was drawn to you. Like, I haven't, um, it's, I'm always so surprised at how many, like, real killers are out there. And you're one of those guys, and I just hadn't come across your page or, or hadn't connected with you. You, you think the world's so small, or you, you think you, you know everybody in the hunting world, and then you, you tagged me the other day on social media, and you tagged me with, uh, one of the sayings I say on the podcast, uh, persistence is deadly. And um, and then you had a giant velvet buck that you shot this year. And I thought, oh, my gosh, look at this thing. And then just started paying attention to your page a little bit more. And, yeah, you you just harvested a great late-season muley, too. It looks like uh, in New Mexico. Is that where you live at, Sam? No, I'm from Sheridan, Wyoming. I live in Wyoming. I'm not that far from you, actually. I was born and raised in Sheridan, Wyoming, but – um, I have a friend that lives down in New Mexico, and I've been able to go down there and hunt with him uh, four or five times and hunt those January mule deer. And it's it's a it's a ball, as you know, going south in January when it's super cold up here in the mountain country. It's pretty fun to head down there to the desert and chase stuff. So, man, heck yeah, of a on. heck of a late season deer, heck of an early season deer. Man, you killed it this season. Yeah, it was it was a fun season. I I was lucky enough. I harvested a moose too. I drew a moose tag for after 22 years of applying. So it was it was a it was a really really fun, really solid hunting season. I was I was happy. Oh, congratulations! So um, a Shiris moose. Yeah, I had a Shiris moose through a Wyoming Shiris moose tag, and yep, I was able to harvest. It took 22 years of applying since I was 12 years old, and finally drew this year. And actually, I. I I really, my buddy drew last year, and so I really started researching areas that would be easier to draw, but because of reasons such as like lower tag numbers, you know, wolf units, and where they've dropped it, where the units that used to have, you know, the most renowned units in Wyoming that used to be known for moose have dropped significantly because of all the wolves and the impact that's made. Well, anyways, everybody's kind of shied away from those units. We started researching a bunch, and my buddy put in last year, and he drew, and he killed a giant. And so I was like, well, I'm going to drop my points and we're going to try it again. So we went to a neighboring unit and went after it and got lucky. And I got a really, I'm really, really proud of the bull I got too. It was a, it was a phenomenal year. So yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah, that's crazy cool. (laughs) Moose just, um, like, I don't know, big animals intrigue me with a bow and arrow. You know, you just have to be so precise with your shot and you killed a bunch of good bulls. I, I had to just look up your your moose picture as you were talking about it here. What a beautiful <laughs> Shiris, dude! That thing's got a bunch of points on it all the way back. Good fronts. What a gorgeous moose! Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, it was, it was unbelievable, Brian. It was one of those things like you say. It's, I think that's. I got hooked. I saw my buddies hit the last year with his bow, and I was just. I could not believe the sheer size. That was it. I grabbed those hair up on his withers you know six seven eight inch long guard hairs on their back and they're just just everything about them was huge i pick up that front leg i boned out that front quarter and i'm holding the hoof and i'm six two a little more than six two and that thing was sitting on the ground the shoulder blade was on the ground and it was eye level with me and i was man they're so big like unbelievable animal just so majestic i'm, I'm hooked on moves i love elk hunt elk hunt's my thing mule deer whatever but 
Man, those moose. If anybody draws a moose tag and they want help, I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm hooked on it now. Man, how cool. Did you spend the, the summer scouting that unit for good moose? You know, I'm going to tell you what I did. And uh, I, I, my advice to guys would be when I started research and I started using social media because there's, you know, not a lot of moose in the States. So when anybody would post a picture up of moose in Wyoming, I would just start researching where they a photographer that started following all the photographers in the state and when they post a picture of a moose i'd look I'd, I'd even message them and ask them where did you take a picture of this moose and boom 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 and i, I didn't tell them i was wanting to hunt it necessarily but i just was so interested in where these pictures all these big bulls were and i started like literally marking it on a map kind of where all these pictures of different moose were coming from and this and that and that's how i started my research so then i figured out what unit a lot of some of these bull pictures were coming out of then I started con- contacting guys that I knew had elk hunted in that country. Then I started contacting guys that had sheep hunted, and then they don't give it out a lot of moose tags, so I didn't know anybody that had drawn a moose tag. So then I did the biologist work, and then I talked to game wardens, and I literally only went over there and scouted one weekend, and I just wanted to really find the roads. I needed to find road systems. Much countries you can cover with moose is kind of what I found out. I didn't really want to backpack or take my horses up into a drainage and be stuck to seven miles of one river. I wanted to be able to hunt 100 miles of all the different drainages in the unit. You know what I mean? Cover as much country as possible. So just really started researching, finding all the roads, went over there, found a camping spot, and then we covered as many roads as we could in one weekend. And then we waited till the rut. We, I went and chased elk. I chased deer. I did all that and waited till the 21st of September before we headed over and started to chase moose and yeah they were rutting and we got in on him and i was lucky to kill him on the 23rd of september so it went went a lot quicker than i thought it would (laughs) man how cool uh what a great like outside the box way to think about that tag and that hunt and that opportunity using social media to find where big moose were coming from um and, and then you know doing your legwork doing that scouting trip but showing up at the right dates it seems like those moose love to rut that late september early october October. Um, and I, I really like what you said about like horseback or covering the mileage. It's so important with the moose that are so nomadic. I've thought about them a lot and I love to backpack probably like you do do uh, getting back into remote country, but that's just not the way to hunt moose. And moose are so big. It sounds like you have horses. I don't. And so I don't want to kill a moose you know, six, seven, eight miles back and have to get them out of there. And so when I think about applying for moose hunts, that's kind of how I think of them, too, is being able to learn that road system and use those roads as a scouting tool to glass off of, you know, and I'm definitely not mm-hmm. going to just drive around in my truck, but also, like, get out to vantage points, check out, you know, whatever it is, clear cuts or, you know, yep. any country yep. I can see and kind of look around and try to find them that way. But I loved what you said, covering 100 miles instead of 7 miles. Exactly, and that's exactly what we did. We would you would use roads, and you know, roads would be on top of a point that would overlook. Because if you think about it, every road that you've driven on the mountains, half of them or ninety percent of them follow a stream or follow a a drainage. All the roads that were built over all the years went up some stream, and then you know, then they did something. So, yeah, all these roads would give you access to all these different willow bottom flats with big sagebrush ridges with clear cuts or blowdown or burns on the side. So. We would just focus on those drainages, and man, it panned out for us. It, that's exactly exactly what we needed to do, and it worked great. Uh, did you see a bunch of moose down there, Sam? You know, we did. As far as numbers, guys, you know, think 
that there wouldn't that you wouldn't think that there would have been a lot of moose, you know, from what I was hearing. But yeah, I mean, the I think we looked in two and a half days. There was three of us that were spread out, and then we'd come. We had a big base camp. We'd all get together and meet and get a hold of each other and get to camp. And we had, I think we had seven different bulls spotted, and you know, I mean, quite a few cows and calves and all of that. There was probably fifteen to eighteen head of moose total in two and a half days, which was pretty darn good, I thought. I mean, considering. They don't get out that many tags over there, and the moose numbers are supposed to be really low. So, yeah, it was promising, and the calf numbers looked were good, too. So every cow we saw had a calf with her except for one, and she was a young cow, and she's probably a two-year-old. So it was it was great, actually. Good, a healthy herd. Like um, those wolves, you know, I'm I'm over in Montana, but, yeah, they, they put a hurting on those moose in the deep snow. Those oh, wolves boy. can run on top. And, uh, yeah, I know, uh, uh, back in 2007, 2008, I mean, they put a hurting on our local moose populations, but it's good to hear that areas like that are bouncing back. And I'm still seeing moose in my area too. And, uh, man, you get me all psyched to go hunt Shiris with my bow. <laughs> I'm, I'm max points here in Montana. So I got a really oh, good chance man. at drawing one and I've got a little bit more aggressive with my applications, um, so hopefully mm-hmm. it'll be me calling you here, uh, shortly for some advice for moose hunting. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have a lot. I mean, I've been on two hunts now, back to back years and both bulls were, we got lucky and killed some really old, that bull last year aged out at 10 and a half or 11 and a half. He's the oldest wow. bull killed in the state last year. And I haven't got my results back on how old this bull is, but same caliber. I mean, so, uh. Yeah, I really don't have much advice except cover country. <laughs> no, that's good <laughs> cover advice. Cover a lot of country and, and put you know put your glass to work just like you do on everything else. I mean, it's it was fun, man. It was fun. I love chasing the bugle and bulls, but to change it up now, I'm done. Now it's back to elk and deer, unless I can draw some random cool tag like a mountain goat or a buffalo. That's all I got left in oh. Wyoming. So or the Yukon <laughs> moose, you got to sign yourself up for uh, the yeah. the Alaskan Yukon moose, man. It's a pretty epic <laughs> adventure up there in Alaska, like floating a hundred miles of river system that's so remote up there, and those bulls are just so big. You know, the big 60s, 65s. They still live up there, you know, so there's some logistics that go into it and picking the right drainage. And and I wasn't successful on the trip I went that I did a float trip for moose up there. Uh, it was like a like a do it yourself. We did all our own research, flew in, floated 100 miles a river, but we did good. We saw like 10 different bowls and of which wow. and I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on the details of how many of those were shooters, but I think like five or six were confirmed shooters and they have to be at least 50 inches wide or four brow tines. Um, but it was good. It was action. We chased them around and the knowledge that we gained and we learned about that river system. My, one of my buddies I went with, he went back the next year and I just couldn't do it the next year. It was just a little bit more money, you know, than I Uh wanted to spend uh that next year. But he went back and he killed a big 62 out of one of the spots I had marked on my GPS that we hunted hard. So (laughs) that research paid off the next year. Yeah, that's that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, one of these days, I guess. I'm just right now. It's uh, focused on the Wyoming ten. There's ten big game rounds you can harvest in Wyoming, and that's my focus right now with a bow. Oh. And there's nobody that's done it. I think there's four guys that have killed nine, and there's some. There's a there's one guy that's a legend in there that I know personally. He's a he's a beast. He's waiting on a mountain goat tag, but yeah, that's my that's my goal right now. Is just chasing chasing the Wyoming ten. How many bow, do you have, so. Sam? I got eight. 
I'm lacking the goat and the buffalo. I haven't killed a goat or a buffalo yet. Okay. I haven't drawn a tag, so. Yeah, well, I, uh, that's. I harvested big, bighorn sheep in 2017. I was lucky to get that tag, so. Oh, uh, dude, a, how how awesome was how awesome was that hunt in 2017 with your bow, obviously, and uh, you drew yeah. a Rocky Mountain bighorn tag. Yeah, that was uh, that was another one of the things where I started doing research. I had a buddy that um, he's actually really good friends with guy and I. They know him really well, and uh, he's a Jackson guy. And I'd been talking to him for years, and I had I, didn't, I was way short on points because back in the day it wasn't where you could pay seven dollars and get a point. You had to pay the hundred and twenty bucks to fly and then get the point. Well, I was doing it every other year while I was in college. I couldn't afford the hundred and twenty some bucks, so I put in for a moose because I knew I wanted to kill a moose someday. But the sheep, I would apply one year, and then I wouldn't apply the next. And then I'd apply just so I could keep my points building because if you went two years, then you lost them, you know. So anyways, I only had like 16 sheep points. So I really started researching around the state. Where could I draw? And I went for the, one of the hardest units to kill one. I kept looking at the, the percentage of uh, kill percentage was like 30 and 50%. And I was like, man. But anyways, I talked to this buddy of mine. He said, put in for it. We'll, we'll run up there, and we'll see what we can do. And Man, I put in for the tag and drew it in 2017 and uh, got up there, and it opened August 1st, and I had a ram killed by the afternoon of August 2nd, and we were done. We were out of there. It was one of those things. We went up, set up camp, and I left those guys, my two buddies, they stayed on one side of the canyon, and I bailed up to this peak where we'd seen four rams earlier that morning, and I got up to this peak, Brian, and I was just sitting there, and you know how that high country is exactly like the high country you chase mule deer in really dry up top but it was 2017 where we had like jackson had over 700 inches of snow or something anyways i was up there and those rams at 3 30 in the afternoon were coming up to a snow drift that had started to melt with the sunshine from the afternoon and they were coming to get a drink and i happened to be sitting on the peak above them about 250 yards and i just started sliding on my butt and i met them at the snow drift and i ended up shooting that ram the second day of the season so it was incredible. So I, I got a hold of those guys. I ran back around. They were still sitting with the horses. They hadn't even left the horses yet. And I ran back around the mountain about a mile and a half and got a hold of them. And told them I'd stuck a ram. I didn't even go look at him because he bailed off a cliff when I hit him. I hit him yard and shoulder and went and got them and gave him 40 minutes and walked over the edge. And he was laying 100 feet at the bottom of a cliff. <laughs> it was done. My sheep was done in a day and a half. So Man, I mean, incredible. I mean, you want the hunt to last a little bit longer, but that's the oh. thing with bow hunting is that you have to make good on your opportunities. You're only yeah. going to get so many. And so you went up to that you're peak. Totally right. You'd seen a few rams, and it's like you just you, your chance was right there for the taking. And who knows if you would have yeah. passed that up or screwed up that opportunity, you may have gotten 10 days and not got another opportunity. So yeah. uh, bow hunting is yeah. all about making good when you get that chance to get a stock or you get that chance to close in. And then it's like relying upon your skills and hoping to close the deal. But good on you, man! What a cool adventure. Um, it, it was. It was cool. It was the it was the it was the first archery ram ever recorded in that unit too, and he was the oldest ram ever in that unit. So it all came together. I didn't know any of that going into it. I didn't know there man. hadn't been an archery harvest ever in that unit. And the oldest ram ever to come out of the unit was eight and a half years old. It's a unit where they winter above ten thousand feet. So they, they don't live very long. And they, their horn average horn length, but there's like 29 inches. It's a, it's a really unique herd of sheep anyways. So it all came down in the end. It was pretty cool to roll in and get, his, get him checked out by the biologist and then to tell them tell me all the data and stuff. It was, it was pretty neat to get off the mountain that day with that 
that ram would be the first archery kill to ever come out of that area. So Man. pretty, pretty neat feed, I guess. And it's not like I, I don't feel like I'm, I hope I don't sound like I'm bragging. It was just, it was really neat. It was just kind of one of those things that I was and you're just like, man, that's kind of cool for all of us guys out there. I hope I re- represented it well, you know. It was kind of neat. Yeah, not bragging at all, man. That's so awesome. How killer. Well, and, um, you know, like I say, it's just making good on those opportunities. You you know, you work hard enough and you hunt hard enough, you're going to earn some opportunities, but then it's what you do with them, you know. And if you if you uh, duff those opportunities that you're given, boy, you can go with an unnotched tag pretty easy, especially in a unit like that where one had never been killed with a bow. Uh, they they don't get very old. Man, you're super fortunate. That is so cool. Um, it's, it's so neat to hear about your quest for the Wyoming 10. Like, I – you know, living here in Montana and being able to travel to a couple different places, but we really have the best of the best right here in the West. And it's like a, oh, like man. taking advantage of what's right around us. And you do a good job of hunting other Western states as well. But, you know, that Wyoming for you being a resident, you just know you can get some good tags every year. And, and uh, same thing with me in here Mon- in Montana. I'm so fortunate where I live and just that I can have a tag and an opportunity to chase elk every year and mule deer every year you know and 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 then to be able to travel around and see the best of these other states like you have in new mexico or i'm going to head to arizona here in a handful of days you know and go experience the best of hunting they have down there like i really think that's where it's at man the the blue collar earn your success work hard for it and take advantage of, uh, of all this opportunity we have out here out west you know i i say that and i I hate to say it. <laughs> no, actually, Wyoming and Montana aren't that good. Idaho is way better. <laughs> <laughs> Don't but, say that. I love uh, Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we are. We're lucky. Like, people ask me, you know, like, as far as bow hunting, I mean, there's been years where I do and two buck antelope tags. I get a whitetail tag, buck tag. I get a, a mule deer tag, or it's an any tag, so I can kill a whitetail or mule deer. I always save it for mule deer. I can get a over-the-counter bull elk tag. And then I can get two cow elk tags over the counter that are leftovers. I mean, there's opportunities there where you can you can hunt from August 15th to the end of December if you want to get after it. So, yeah, we are so fortunate. And guys ask me questions about stuff. And I always say, you know, like when I was younger, even years when I haven't had a moose tag or a sheep tag, when I don't have those extra tags, I will get a handful of doe whitetail tags. And I want to say my best lessons in stocking have probably been stocking like white-tailed does and i did that so much growing up and so many failed attempts but you take a white-tailed doe even if she's in the the neighbor's alfalfa meadow you try sneaking up on her and you got that's the hardest stock you'll do i mean um and i think that's taught me so much sneaking up on those white-tailed does and then always chasing those antelope in august like that's what i always say is like my my season prep when i when, I, when august rolls around it's like all right this is time to get this is where you mess up a few stocks and this is where you get your, the ball rolling because elk starts in, you know, in two weeks we're chasing elk and deer. So I just, I feel like, and we've been, I've been so lucky to have all these tags and then chase so much stuff. So then when the time comes and I've had a bull elk in front of me, I've been pretty lucky. I've, I've bombed a million stocks. I mean, don't get me wrong, but the confidence to go chase a bull elk after you've been chasing white tilled does and crazy antelope in the prairie the confidence level is just so much higher when 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 the time comes i mean so yeah we're very lucky to live in these western states and have all these tags i feel it's 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 shortened my learning curve on the whole bow hunting thing a lot because i've had opportunity to chase and screw up so many stocks 
<laughs> Man, you're so spot on. You just uh, spoken like a like a true bow hunter. It is like failure is a prerequisite, but that experience is so key. I, in wrapping your brain about around what you want to accomplish in the stock and making yourself some ground rules, that's all important, and you can shorten the learning curve that way. But experience is the best teacher, isn't it? On whitetail does, uh, on antelope, you just get how elk. I mean, yeah. If you got a tag in your pocket, like that's if like guys on, you know, like I know there's, you, there's talked about now, like it's out there. You hear this on podcasts, but guys that they hold out or like, there's guys in Wyoming here where I live and shared, they, they put in for one unit up here on the Bighorn Mountains. It's a very well-known unit and they put in for that. And if they don't draw it, they don't go elk hunting. And I'm like, well, what happens when you draw that tag? And then there's a 360 bull out there. You got your sight set on this 350 plus or this magical number. It's going to be a heck of a lot harder getting on that bull if you haven't practiced sneaking up on, you know, elk for the last five years, you know, that you haven't had a tag. So I look at it as, it's, yeah, it's practice. These guys that are making it to the Super Bowl in two weeks, they've been practicing their whole life to get there. There's, <laughs> you don't just go play the Super Bowl. Like That's exactly right, man. Yeah, you um, hold out for too big of an animal, and you don't have the experience under your belt to close deals or to keep your calm under the crunch. So, yeah, I mean, um, that's just not the way I go about it either. It's a, Experience is the best teacher, and, yeah, it's taught me everything I know, just stalking and shooting and hunting, just like you on those white-tailed does, those antelope those high opportunity hunts are so key to 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 learning bow hunting what you can get away with and what you can't like uh when you can expose yourself and, and when you can't and you're right you mess up so much and you just learn from it you just go oh well i i shortcutted that i uh-huh. you know i was exposed they could see me i thought i could get away with it i can't i guess i can't cheat that but you just learn those hard <laughs> lessons over and over and pretty soon they start to stick and then they're then they're part of your makeup and part of your hunting instincts and decision-making. And then when you get that chance at that bull, because let's be honest, antelope, you can get five stocks a day. On the trophy uh-huh. bull elk six-point you're after, how many stocks are you really going to get in the season? Like if you get into really good action, you know, you may get four or five stocks. Um, it may come down to one or two stocks on a bull, you know, and you got to, again, yep. make right on those opportunities. And the only way you do that is to improve that hunting skill so, you know, when you when you get your chance, those instincts take over, make the right decisions, you, you can keep calm during the crunch, you know how to make a shot and execute. Man, like, you talk about your success, mine is the exact same way. And I failed a bunch on big bulls, too, but... Like eventually you oh, start to too. get that experience <laughs> and you you just start to get dialed in on the process. Yeah, and it's and it's like the I, I look back to that hunt last week in New Mexico and I go down there, it's opening day, my buddy got lucky and I shouldn't say lucky, my buddy hammered one that morning, perfect stock, perfect execution and hammers and calls me. We got service. I left him, he left me and we were gone for over an hour and he calls me and says, Man, I got an just tell the excitement is voice, I got one, I got one, I got one. It's like cool. And he left his backpack, went on his long stock. So here I am, two backpacks loaded up, and we go down to get this buck. And I'm, I, I, I do quite a bit of video, and I'm videoing him, and he goes, man, we'll get one in another couple hours, like joking, like, ha-ha, we got a week to hunt down there. And no kidding, by 1 o'clock that afternoon, I'd stuck an arrow in another buck. And it was one of those days where when my shot broke, I was by myself, my shot broke. It was, there was, I can tell you, he was, he was facing left, kind of slightly uphill above me, and he was grazing, had no idea I was there. He was facing me straight on for, I'm going to say, like three minutes before he finally turned, turned, turned enough. He was quartering pretty hard, too. I hugged it tight to his right shoulder, and he had a black tuft of hair 
perfectly. He was 37 yards. And I remember putting that 40 pin on that black tuft of hair, and then I just settled that 40 pin just below it. And it was one of those times where it was so slow motion, Brian. Like, I'm one of those guys, man, over the years where it's just kind of that you explain it like a car crash and it's, and it's, it's like what just happened, but it's like you get your pins up there and you know, you're tight to the shoulder and poof, it goes off and you're like, man. And then it's all just a blur. But this hunt last week, it was one of those ones where it literally, it broke. And I was like, I felt my, I watched that arrow hit exactly where that mark was. And you just feel the follow through and that doesn't happen very often. So you're right. It's like you, when, when all those, all those shots that you re round in your head and, when one finally does happen, it's just absolutely perfect. It's, it's just such a crazy, gratifying feeling. It's just like you, everything flashes back, all the stuff you've learned. And that one was one of those times, and he just wheeled and ran 80 yards and laid down, and it was done. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool when it all comes together after all the failed attempts and all the hard stocks. But thanks for make most of the opportunities that we have. If you got a tag in your pocket, go chase it. <laughs> Don't mm-hmm. sit on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally it. Uh, persistence is deadly. Um, yeah, man, and it, that's, I, I, that saying, yeah, I, that's another thing too. That saying that you said is that dude I shot this year, uh, in Wyoming, it was, it was the hottest day in September this year. It was like 98 degrees. I'd failed on two stocks that morning. I had wind got shifty on me and then I had a doe paying me from across a canyon. I had a mule deer act like a white tailed doe. She was probably 600 yards away across the canyon and just sat there and wheezed the whole time and she would stomp and i'm like no way is she seeing me and from 600 yards it got the bucks that i was above nervous and they blew out anyways long story short is that afternoon i get on a buck at two o'clock in the afternoon and i ended up sitting on him and i shot him at 520 and i'm not even gonna lie this gonna sound corny i remember sitting on him thinking I want to throw the rock because I couldn't see his horns because he's bedded at like 19 yards and I couldn't even see his horns after deep this bed was in the sagebrush. And I wanted to throw a rock. And I'm like, Brian Barney would not throw a rock. He'd just say, persistence is dead. If I just sit here, it's bound to work in my favor. And no kidding, that sucker stood up three hours later and I got an arrow in 19 yards. So that's why I wrote that and tagged you. I was like, it was totally rolling through my mind because I wanted to do the old toss rock over him and hope he stands up. But. Oh, you played it right. Well, both scenarios, <laughs> you like showed this great discipline and patience. And it's just from all your years of bow hunting that you've learned. But the first year that you mentioned in New Mexico, you mentioned facing you for three minutes, like sitting oh, yeah. still at 37 yards, 40 yards, wherever you were at. And he's facing you like that. Um you know, everything in your body is screaming at you to try to draw your bow, shoot them in the front. You're mm-hmm. running all these scenarios mm-hmm. through your head that are wrong. The right answer is to do exactly what you did. You don't give yourself away. Keep the element of surprise. Then the buck finally turns, and then that's where you execute. And then how good does it – like you mentioned how good it feels. It, it feels really good to harvest a good four-point deer, and especially that one that you did. It was a great buck. So so it feels awesome, and you feel uh, – uh, you know, like you've accomplished something, you've done it, but then when you make that perfect shot on top of that, like it adds to the whole experience. When you execute perfectly, make a perfect shot, it just adds to it. It it, it makes it better, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it just – well, and the animal deserves it. Like I feel like that's probably the biggest thing to me. It's like it didn't even know I was there. It never had – the element of surprise, just like you said, is that was there. It had no idea I was there. The arrow went through him. He ran 90 yards, stopped, bedded down, and went to sleep like – yeah, so everything is it, – it's, it's what you picture. Like, that's like – it's your dream hunt, and it all came together. So, yeah, it's 
Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and then showing the patience on your early season buck in Wyoming, which was a hammer, by the way. Oh. That big backs on him, yeah. big velvet. Like, God dang, was that a nice deer? Um, same yeah, thing on that man. buck. That was, that was fun. That was a fun hunt. Yeah, that was. It was. It was the same thing, and it was three hours. Like I, I took pictures in his bed as I was sitting there with my phone. I was just standing in my socks. I couldn't kneel because the hill was so steep. So I just stood there. You know how it is. You shift from one foot back to the other foot, shift from one foot, kind of lean your hip against the hill, but I, there were some rocks, and I didn't want to make too much noise and shift, and then your mind's going, Are you, is he still there? Because from when I saw him to the move I had to make around him, I, it was private land on one side, so I had to take the way long way around to stay on the public, you know, zigzagging on the BLM chunk, and it was just goofy. Anyway, so there was like 45 minutes where I, had, I couldn't see him. I didn't have eyes on him, but it was the middle of the day. And I was like, there's no way he got up. It's hot. You know, but in your mind, you get all the way over there. You sneak all the way down. There, everything goes perfect. Wind's still in your face. You're still puffing your puffer bottle. Wind's good. Wind's good. Wind's good. And I'm like, no way is he still there. And about 530, the, the shadow started getting long on the other hillside. And I could see does and fawns at like 400 yards were coming out. I was like, he's going to get up. I mean, it's a matter of time. We were on the sunny side of the hill, though. So I was like, I had good wind still hitting me in the face. Those thermals were still rolling up. And the shadows were getting long, and pretty soon I see a G2. I'm guessing it was his G2s. Was about, and all I could see was like top three inches of him, and he was standing. So long story short, it's a good thing I didn't throw the rock, because that deer bed was over six foot deep. And when he stood up, all I could see was his G2s. I didn't see his body until he took like four steps out towards me, and he walked up to me at like 17, 18 yards when I finally shot him. He was facing me, eating. Same exact thing as the New Mexico deer, literally eating the leaves off of some buck brush, exact same thing as New Mexico. Like, and I mean, they were even the same side. I saw the right side on both of them. One was 37 and one was about 18. But yeah, crazy. Man. <laughs> well, and the rock trick can work. Dude, I don't think it would have worked on that one. I, I think you killed no. that buck because of your patience. Oh, and that's tough. But yeah, like I said, man, that persistence, that just, just, just sit here, just grind it out. Like your mouth, you know how your mouth just gets chalky. Like you haven't anything to drink and you're just like, I just think about it. I was like, there's guys that have done way, way suffered way more than I am right now. So I can, I can wait it. I can wait this out. <laughs> Dude, it's so fun, isn't it? You get me so excited. It's oh. so thrilling. And like you say, you don't know if that buck's still there or not. And, and a lot of times he's gone or, you know, it didn't work out or he changed beds while you were moving. But that time, you know, when it actually comes together and he stands up and you can see his horns, he's like, oh, shit, he is really here. You know, it is going to happen. It is going to come together. <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. good yeah, on you. That you is, feel that adrenaline. God, I can feel it as you describe it, like the your mouth being dry. And then I love, like, one foot to the other foot to your hip to, like, everything has uh. fallen asleep, you know. It is so tough to mm-hmm. so tough to hold still. It's also so tough to move slowly. It takes every muscle in your body to be quiet and move slow. Like you don't really realize it when we're sitting here on a podcast, but like when I'm out there and I'm stalking or when you're out there and you're stalking, God, it's like one yoga pose after the next to try yep. to be quiet. It takes every muscle yep. in your body, it seems like. Oh, it's totally. I was just, it was, yeah, you said it. It's yoga. Like I always think I, I'm, a, I'm pretty avid in the gym and stuff, and there's nothing that I can do to mimic like the, yeah, socking on mule deer, like that last 80 yards on mule deer. After you take off the shoes, that last 80 yards you got on mule deer, or if you're trying to slow stock a bull elk in the black timber when you're stepping over logs, but it's all yoga poses. <laughs> I don't do yoga, but I'm sure that's what it's like. Cause I'll, I'll sweat more doing that than I do 
on a on a good hike. <laughs> I'll sweat more when I'm on that final ascent than I do when I'm on a good hike because yeah. it's just yeah every muscle. So true, huh? Well, yeah. What yeah. a what a season on mule deer. That's incredible, man. A couple really nice bucks, and then it looks like you Thank get you. after those those bulls. Um, gosh, you've killed some great bulls too. Or most of those Wyoming bulls, or you hunt some other states as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say I've only killed two bulls. I've killed two bulls in Montana, and the rest are all Wyoming bulls. Yep, I've killed two bulls in Montana, and the rest are all Wyoming bulls. Hmm. Um, so, how do you, so you play your mule deer like like I do, spot and stock, and um, you only take what they give you, and it seems like you play it real patient about the same game. What's your game on elk? Um, elk is uh, one of those things that I kind of – what I can do, I, I like to call, I like to stock. It's just what are what is the situation that I'm in at the moment? Um, for instance, the bulls this year, I was in, I just had a general tag and I went to some country I'd never been. Got a little hot tip from a couple of my buddies and they'd been down there the previous while I was deer hunting and chasing elk across the state. My buddies got back and said, "Man, we were in some elk. This is where it was. Good buddies. He's one of my best friends." He said, "We're not going back down. They've been down there for eight days and they killed two bulls and." They said, yeah, there's some good bulls down there, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, heck with it. I left on a Sunday night and drove in the – so I didn't waste any hunting time. Spent with my family, drove down there on a Sunday night. It was pouring rain, and I set up my camp and woke up the next morning. I had to wait for daylight because I didn't even know what the mountain looked like. I literally just pulled off the edge of the roughest rocky road and slept. And I woke up that morning. I waited for daylight just so I could see where I was even at. Had my onyx, and I just started cruising through the trees and – got the wind in my face and a big storm had rolled through and so i and the, so the wind was pushing this pulling the storm out of there so it was really 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 windy i mean 20 30 mile an hour gusts easily anyways long story short i got on some elk in the timber and it rained a bunch so everything that i was seeing for tracks was fresh tracks so i just got on some elk sign and just started kind of tracking them around anyways bumped a bull and a cow i bumped a spike at about 10 30 in the morning they kind of went into this basin and i thought i caught a glimpse of a six point and it was a general tag, so I wasn't being picky. If it was a six-point, I mean, and I had that moose tag still to fill. So, honestly, if it was kind of a bull elk, he was going down. <laughs> Usually I hold out for a six-point, but I was like, any branch antler bull will put meat in the freezer, so let's get after it. And I bumped him, and I didn't like the way the wind was blowing in the and It was right in the middle of the day, 11 o'clock. So I backed out, did a big old giant loop, ate some lunch, stayed in the timber about two miles, and then I slipped in on him about 4.30 in the afternoon and, got down in that basin and I didn't know how much I wanted to call. So this is one where I just kept easing in, kept easing in, kept the wind in my face, not knowing where there is black timber. I don't know where they are. Finally, I started hearing some cows talking at about four, four fifteen, And so then I just started easing in on them. I mean, just like you would say, like coyote in the herd, just going really easy. I was tracking them more because those cows weren't talking a bunch. Then finally he let off a bugle and it wasn't much of a bugle. But he did let me know he was there. And so I just kept easing in behind him. Wind was good, but it was still kind of swirly with that storm going out. So it was one of those winds where you had it good in your face, and then just a split second it would hit, you back, hit the back of my neck, and then it would come back and get me in the face. So I just kind of honestly held back away from him. Finally, I got eyes on a cow at about 70 yards, and then she caught a little wind of me, but not enough to, like, spook and run. Like, she just picked up her head and did the, like, turn, kind of walk away with her head high kind of thing. Anyways, so then I just got in behind them. The wind was good. They were walking into the wind, being elk, doing the elk thing. He was talking. 
and I just kept slipping in on their tracks. I He got quiet on me, and I was just tracking him on mud. Anyways, got in, and about then he rips off the bugle, and I look right in front, and I see a cow in front of him about 35 yards grazing, and he rips off the bugle. I immediately grab my tube, bugle right over the top of him. I haven't made a sound yet. I haven't made a sound at all this whole time. He bugles. I'm 35 yards from the cow. I rip off a bugle, drop to one knee so I can shoot underneath the timber, get underneath the low branches, and his horns were coming at me, dead run, and he slammed all the way into 29 yards broadside, and I stuck an arrow in him. It happened fast, and that was it. So one bugle. So there's what I did on elk. I mean, I was spot and stocked quite a few. I would say I'm about 60% I spot and stocked, and then 40% I've called in of my own. So That's good. now when I'm home with other people, when I'm home with other people, I've done a lot of calling, but all for myself, I do a lot of solo hunting. So all for myself, it's been, yeah, 60 or 70% I've stocked on them. And then the other few I've called in. Oh man, that's so good. It's like uh, uh, having all the, the tools in your toolbox and at your disposal. Um, and, and it's like how much of that calling, like, you made one bugle. How much of that calling is, is being able to stalk through the woods? And whether you're stalking elk or whether you're trying to get into position to call, like, man, it takes all your senses. And, like, you talk about tracking in the mud and then hearing the cows call. Like, all those are, like, uh, these these little signs that those elk are right there in front of you. But reading those signs and then catching that cow in front of you at 35 yards feeding – if you wouldn't have seen her before she saw you, the gig would have been up. Oh, the whole thing oh, would have boy. been blown over. Yeah. So, like, no matter if you're calling or if you're stalking, you have to just be good at moving through the woods. And then it's it, – so much of it is about, like, your pace, like knowing when to go quick and knowing when to slow down. And I bet when you were stalking through the mud and cow chirps and bull there, I bet you were stalking just like you were after a mule deer, like you talked about in the dark timber, like stepping over logs and you, you're really looking oh, yeah. in front of you and you're scanning left and right. You're just trying to catch anything because the game is you catch them before they catch you or the gig is up. And even when they're calling, elk are always moving. They're always over a rise. So you're constantly faced with this situation where you've got to close in on elk. And, and again, it's just relying upon your instincts to make the right moves, you know, so you don't blow them out or you don't bust them. So you catch them first, but it's so about your pace and, um, the, the stock through that timber is just an awesome story to hear, but that stalking skill on elk or coyoting the herd or moving with the herd, man, that is an art and that pays dividends both if you're going to call or if you're not going to call, just being able to coyote and move with that herd undetected and be able to read the wind and um, man, it's so important to kill an elk consistently. Oh, it, it totally is. I mean, yeah, because you, you know just as well as me, there's been I mean, you're, you're, I'm way, I bump them way more than I catch up to them, <laughs> right? I bump them way more than I stick arrows in them. I put it that way, but you got to just, you got to, yeah, you just got to know when to go and be slow. And I mean, there's sometimes, as you know, like I, I'll even look at my, my watch and like, if I see elk going up a big bear ridge, for instance, if I got eyes on elk, I usually see where they are. And then I time how far I am behind them. If I'm trying to catch them, people always say, oh, you can't catch elk. Well, hell with that like you can't kill elk if you don't try and catch them so i think that's like my thing i've even i've even watched i definitely have timed them where they went oh they went through this aspen patch you know i'm I'm 17 minutes behind them and i can still hear them and i mean 
where you're running. And then there's times where you get in the timber and you start hitting the brakes until you can hear them again and then kind of know where they are. And man, when I was younger, I think where I probably learned that tactic, me and uh, one of my old hunting partners, I remember as kids in high school, we'd bump them on accident, but then we'd have tracks. And I was like, well, at least I know where elk are. And I would just follow those tracks. And there was times where we dogged elk for days, literally days, till we'd finally kill one. And here we are 16 and 17 years old in high school, and we killed elk just by dry tracking them through the pine needles. Because if you bumped them, they left a good, heavy track. And I know that sounds crazy, but I mean, we killed elk doing that, just completely tracking them. And then finally, you'd be like, oh, I think we're getting close to a meadow. Let's slow it down a little bit. It's evening. We chased them all day, like we're getting close to an evening feeding grounds and sneak out there and we killed a couple bulls doing that. So yeah, you look like you were talking from the very beginning of the podcast is all those times of screwing up, like you learn so much and yeah. And it just, it all comes together finally, I guess I'm 35 now. So hopefully I'm kind of figuring some stuff out. I've dang sure bumped enough of them on accident. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I think you're definitely figuring it out. Um, yeah, well, it shows success is so tough, isn't it? And when you're young, you know that. Uh, but even as you're older, these hunts are tougher than we expect. We get on them, and maybe we can't find elk, or we can't find the critters, or we bump them out. So it's always tougher than we think. It It's the ultimate challenge, and it's why we're drawn to it. But, man, such great points there. Like, even about bumping elk. Because um, elk, and they relocate miles away from you, bump them. They're not like a deer mm-hmm. where they go over the ridge in that basin. But I'm with you. If you can keep with that herd, um, they'll go back to being elk again. You just have oh, to yeah, keep with them until they calm down. down. Yeah. But I've actually – I bumped elk. Um, you know, who knows what situation. Maybe I came over a hill too quick. Maybe my wind got in there. Whatever. I just busted the stock and busted them. And, and like you, I haven't looked at my watch and played that trick of how far I'm behind them, but I will in the future. But I'll like I'll so I'll, I'll bump these elk and I'll see them and they're going over the ridge and they're they're gonna disappear and they go over that ridge. Well then I'll dang near jog to get to that next ridge Sprint. and yeah. I'll yeah and yeah. I'll I'll just get to that next ridge. And the farthest ridge I can see, the elk will just be going over top of that. And I go, oh, no. Okay, now i got to get there. And I'll get to that ridge, and then I'll catch them again. And they're just in front of me, but I'm almost jogging just to get eyes on them again, just to see them again. But then they'll get away, and they'll get a few miles in between you and them. And then they go back to being elk. They'll start rutting again. Yep. They'll start bugling again. Then they'll start feeding around, around their bed. Uh, I love killing elk right before they bed as they kind of mill around and feed in one area instead of, like, moving miles, you know. But, yeah, they go yeah. back to being elk, man. And so, yeah, you got to be uh, good with your tracking skills and um, moving through elk country like we were saying. But, yeah, even if you bump them – that's not a guarantee that you're not going to kill that elk. Sometimes you can keep with them and get another chance. Totally right back to your persistence is deadly. Like that's where you just, you stick with it because the thing is, is one of the hardest thing in elk country is finding elk. And that's what people are always, if you ever see questions on podcasts or hear everybody's like, well, everybody wants to know where'd you get the elk. So if you can find them, stick with them (laughs) because it might be days before you find them again. That's just, that's just my thing has always been just, man, just stick with them. If you found elk, stick with them. Sleep with them. I mean, we sleep with me and my buddies. We'll take, I always have my sleeping bag on my back. So it's usually, if I find them, I'm usually staying with them until I try and you know, kill one or run out of vacation or run out of food. So, <laughs> man, that's smart, <laughs> Sam. Don't, so don't quit. You hunt with, um, so do you do like a base camp and then hunt with your sleeping bag on your back just always? Like, that's your rule. 
Yeah, you know, um, yeah, like uh, this year, this year I did. I was in a new country, so I didn't know what I was going to be into. So yes, I had a sleeping bag, and I just carry a little tarp with me, and that's how I roll. And then I always have like two mountain houses in there, or just a bunch of uh, protein-filled, calorie-filled junk. I mean, all sorts of trail making, all my own trail mixes and stuff like that. I'll roll with all that. But yeah, that's what I. I always try and have a sleeping bag if I know okay. that I'm going to be in some big country. I'll always have my sleeping bag. Yeah. For oh, sure. that's just in case. Yeah, that's really smart. Okay, so so like in this instance, you're hunting with your camp on your back, and you're just gonna hunt with your camp. And I've done this a lot in like my uh, in the in my home mountain ranges and things. You know, they're like big mountains, and sometimes it takes you three hours to get back in a drainage. So it's just not feasible to day hunt. And then you set up a camp, but you can end up miles away from there. Or just like you're doing, like for a two, three-day camp or two, three days worth of gear, an elk, I can leave my spotting scope too because I can judge them with my binos. And so I could yeah. run my elk camp for like 25 pounds for the weekend or whatever, maybe 30 pounds at the most, but 25 pounds for the weekend to have my little shelter. And, and then I just hunt with my camp on my back always, and I just end up wherever I end up. And that's a that's a really fun way to hunt. But I've been toying with the idea – this year, like, um, you know, a lot of the spots I, I elk hunt, you know, we'll, we'll glass them or we'll day hunt it or maybe we'll do an overnighter. But my, my plan is, is like whether I have a base camp or whatever I have going on, it's just like you'd like always have that sleeping bag with me. So if I could just do like a skeleton pack, like a 15, 18 pound pack and just have my sleeping bag and my bivy sack in there, my, I gotta have an air mattress too, I guess for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but just, like super lightweight so I can survive back there and just sleep wherever I end up and just kind of get in the habit of hunting with that on my back because so many times by the time you find elk, you're 10 miles from where you started. Totally, totally. And that's right. And I honestly, I hate leaving them because then you get into them and it's evening, it's prime time. And that's when most guys, it's time to start heading back because you're three hours. And I, I hate that. And I even hate having to stop to get water. Like, it's like, I hate quitting. So yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to just slumber it go with it. And man, I think back to the old days, and I had a just a junky old pack, and it wasn't junk. I thought it was top of the line at the time, but not packs that came so far. But the stuff at the hardware store, I used to just roll up that thing like a taco, and uh, I carried that damn tarp everywhere. But yeah, that's. My my system's gotten a little cleaner since then, but it's funny to think back. Cause that's we've been doing it that way. I've been doing it that way for at least ten years. Been chasing them like that. So and it's worked. It's 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 worked for us. Me and my couple of my buddies. That's how we all do it. So it works. And we thanks are like. I mean, I love having that big nice wall tent base camp and all that stuff. That's a lot of fun too. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna sit here and try and sound like I just love sleeping out on the rocks, but. It's uh, whatever it takes, man. September is only 30 days long, so I got to get it done. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, the elk are nomadic, and so therefore, you know, we need to be nomadic as well. And I cover country when I'm elk hunting, whether I'm day hunting or whether I'm uh, weekend hunting or I got a few days, you know, a, a lot like what you're doing. But in that in that same breath, it seems like every time I set up a wall tent camp, it's never in the right spot. Like, I can't keep into elk for 10 days. I can't keep into elk for five days. It seems like if I get into them, it's a couple days of good hunting, and then, you know, they're they're moving on to their next feeding feature, and I have to move with them, you know? And so, um, yeah, I, I really like that, 
how you've uh, uh, committed to hunting with your camp on your back always, like that lightweight camp. That's how you hunt elk. That's how you cover country in the mountains. It it that's a really efficient way to hunt. I can see why you're consistently successful. Yeah, it's just yeah. I guess it's just it's worked for me, so I'll stick with stick with the plan for now. Yeah. Do you <laughs> like um, hunting bulls um, middle in the day in the timber, or do you like to hunt them mornings and evenings in their feeding feature? Or what's your preference? Ah, man. You know, um, I've, I've, I'll hunt them all day long if I can. If I can hunt them all day, I will hunt them all day. If I get them into a patch of timber, you know, and those elk get on those north facing slopes and those benches. And that wind can be so shifty. Yeah, thermals go up, thermals go down, but it is the mountains. And thermals go back and forth, too. So there's sometimes in the middle of the day, like this year, for instance, where I did pull out in the middle of the day and just waited for them to get ready to get to their evening. Because I like them. I like them to be moving, to be honest with you. So I guess if I had my ideal, it would be morning or evening. When they're moving and that bull's in the back, he's got those cows in front of him. He's just kind of tending to the herd in the back. You know, I sit and think the last three bulls I've killed have all been evening bulls, and they've all been tending to their cows, um, and they've all just been kind of on the edge of that herd. So just kind of skirting the edge of that herd, letting those cows get by me, getting that wind perpendicular to them so that I'm not – so I'm kind of teeing into that wind. I like to keep that wind where I don't even know how – it's kind of hitting me from across, from across my body, not necessarily completely in my face, but just – so that I can, so I can use it to my advantage. Where I can either slide forward or slide back, and I can, because you never know where those bulls are going to be, man. A lot of those bulls like to hang to the back when they're with cows, or, and then they go to the front, but they don't go all the way to the front. They let that lead cow walk into danger. So, I like it when I can kind of follow in, fall in behind them, fall in that back kind of quarter. I don't even know how to explain. It. If I could draw a shape like a horseshoe, I always kind of like being on that back corner of that horseshoe, or back edge, left or right of that horseshoe, because that bull seems like he's always just working that back end. And so, yeah, I, I would like the morning or the evening, and if I can just kind of slide in there behind that herd, like I did this year, and like I did my bull last year too, and get an arrow in them that way. That's about the only way to kill those herd bulls. <laughs> man, they're tough with all those eyes for sure. Oh, yeah, it's, that's man, interesting. Uh, yeah. I definitely like hunting them on their feeding features or on the move. It it sounds like you slipped in as they were moving. Now, are you trying to, to get in front of where the herd's going? But, see, it's weird because we talk about these scenarios, but like just like you were stating, like every situation, every encounter yeah. with elk is different. And so it just comes down to your instincts again, like what can I do? What can I get away with? What can I work <laughs> here? Like I love to get in front of a moving herd. It just doesn't oh, happen yeah, all absolutely. the time, you know? It's like – uh it, sometimes you can't get in front of them because they're moving with the wind wrong. So you got to try to slip in yeah. and cut into them. And so every situation is different, but it almost sounds like you're getting in front of these herds a little bit, these last couple bulls. Is that, do I have that right, Sam? I, I'm sitting here thinking like literally the last three years, the bulls have all been this year. I fell in behind them, but the two previous years I got ahead of them and I had a, they were on both of them. One was in a drainage where the, when the wind had already shifted and the thermals were going down and they were walking down the drainage and I happened to be below them. So I just set up and waited in front of that bull. So you know, last year's bull, they were on top of a ridge and the wind was coming off of the ridge. So I was 90 degrees to the, of the wind to them, if that makes sense. They were going left to right and I just let them pass by me. And then this year's bull, I fell in behind. So yeah, just like you said, man, it's completely, completely situational. It's so if they're going to be, 
Uh, I mean, that's just totally it. You just get the wind right, and uh, people always worry about all your camel patterns and scent killers. And, man, I'm telling you what, I don't have any scent killer by day three. And <laughs> I just worry about that wind. That's what's yep. going to get you. So live wind, and, wind live and die. Yeah, live and die by oh, that wind, gosh. man. Even if it's a bad approach, live and die by the wind. Go with the bad approach. Because sometimes those <laughs> mm-hmm. elk are in the best spot, and you're like, God, I could just get to that ridge and shoot them. But the wind's not quite right. Anytime you ever try uh-huh. to cheat that, you're going to blow them all out of there. Like you just can't <laughs> cheat the wind. you got to live and die behind it. So really the wind dictates your approach, and that's one of the reasons – I'm like you. I like to hunt elk. If I see a opportunity, I'm going to hunt elk. And if I can chase them in the morning and keep my wind right, I'm going to do it. But I love killing bulls in the evening. So just like you did, like you're, you're watching with your glass or you glass up some elk and you put them away and maybe they're a long ways to get to or you know where their bed is, but there's not a good approach. You don't know their exact position to stalk in and they're in deep, dark timber like setting uh-huh. up in that evening and then making a play as they come out. Cause those downhill thermals in the evening after that shade comes is about the most consistent wind you're going to find yeah. on the mountain, you yeah. know? So yeah. I just love yeah. to kill them in the evening doing that. That's, that's, uh, um, uh, definitely one of my, my biggest advantages in there. So a lot of times I'll play it tentatively with that morning a little bit and I'll chase them, coyote the herd, see if any opportunities will develop. But if it isn't right, I know where elk are. I know I can be on elk that evening. I'll I'll back out or keep with them, keep my eyes where they are, and then try to hunt them in that evening, you know? Yeah, I'm totally with you. As I sit here, I'm sitting down where I got a bunch of some of my bulls sitting, and as I list, I can think of all my stories that go with each one of them. Totally right. There's a bull in 2014, exact same thing. Followed them all morning. That's the thing with the morning is, you're always playing catch up. I mean, like you could go four miles to where they're just going to, they might not be spooked. They might just be going to bed four miles away. Like, so that's the hard thing about getting ahead of them in the morning. The bull, for instance, where I followed him and followed him and followed him and followed him, not bumping them, just going to where they went. Finally, they got settled and it was one of those spots where it was not a good stocking opportunity. And he had a pile of cows with him. And so I just set up and literally hung out for eight hours that day, sitting on a ridge across from him, listening to him bugle about every, I don't know, every couple of hours he let off a bugle. And if I'd have been good, like, see all these guys on YouTube now, they go in right in the heat of the day, and I just don't have the confidence to go in there and blow that. So I waited till evening, and those cows started going out single file exactly like you just said, exactly what you just said. And that's where that whole back to the persistence, man, just having that patience to sit there, it, it paid off. And that evening I was able to get a narrow in him. But, yeah, just like you said, sitting here thinking back, a lot of evenings. I have been very successful a lot of evenings. Yeah, it's like you finally catch up to him. You're right. The morning, it's playing catch up, and uh, oh, you know man, the elk are go so far. Well, th- it's like, like they <laughs> it's like they feed for a little bit in the morning, and so there's this small window where you can catch them feeding, or before they start to move to their bedding grounds, where there's a good opportunity to kill an elk in there. But then they get on that move, going to their bedding grounds, and they're just moving and feeding, but they're just they're tough to keep up with. Like the spooked oh, elk we were talking about, sometimes I just get to the next ridge they cross, and I see them on the next one. And so, yeah, a lot of those mornings, you're just trying to catch them. You're just trying to play. And sometimes a, an opportunity develops. Sometimes it doesn't. But um, that evening is always a smart play. And, too, like you said, like the biggest thing with elk, they're so nomadic, is locating them. Well, once you have that herd located and then you have them put to bed – You've given yourself like a high percentage chance to kill them in the evening. You know where there's an elk at, and you know you got a really good play at it. 
Or, you know, yeah. like if it's middle of the day and they, they go in some deep, dark timber, you're rolling the dice. You're really maybe low percentage. Maybe you got a chance to kill them. But you just get in there and, and spook them out, and then, you know, the situation's over with, and you don't get that good evening play. So I think it's always good to keep that really good evening play in your back pocket when you can or when it works out. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, um... Got any tips for me for the desert? I'm headed to AZ here in a couple days. I haven't – I'd say the desert is the one habitat I really need to improve on mule deer. Um, you know, foothills, breaks, mountains, uh, wherever I've done really good. The the desert, um, I, I haven't yet. I've struggled there. So I think I just need to sit behind my glass, find good vantage points, but I'm just learning this country from scratch down there because uh, I've always gone down and focused on coups. It's really good action. So um, – uh-huh. You got any tips for me? I don't know. The thing is, where, where I hunt over there, where I go down south, it's uh, what I've learned is when you get down there, it's not like uh, for me where I hunt, it's not like Wyoming where you have vantage points. Where it's not like okay, I found a buck, and he's you know he's he's about 150 yards below that ridge there. I'm gonna go off this ridge here. Once I find them, it's very flat, and I'd say that's the hardest thing as far as tips is. Get that wind in my – what I did is just I keep that wind in my face and go slow and glass a lot. And I'm not a still hunter because I don't have patience like that. But I feel it's open country, but I feel like I'm still hunting it. Every time I come over, just a little rise because there's no points of reference. So a stock is like I'm aiming due west. I mean like it's literally just north, northwest. That's where I'm headed. I'm roughly – he's a couple miles out, you know. And – I don't know. Tips wise, I I don't know if I have any tips. I, I don't know if I'm good enough to give tips. I've had <laughs> fairly good luck, but just man, that just lots of glassing when I think I'm getting close. That way, because they're always with does this time of year, so I'm just always looking for the girls. I'm hunting the does because I know the bucks gonna be with them. So if I can keep eyes and a mule deer doe, I don't know what you. I think a mule deer doe is the most keyed turned on animal than in the forest there can be a hundred head elk across the meadow and there could be one mule deer doe on the other side of that meadow all the elk will be eaten but that doe will have you pegged across the meadow and the timbers sneaking around those trees i just i always feel that with these mule deer so down south i've been really adamant about really 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 watching my movements and watching where those does are and keying in on them like for instance that buck i was on this year on a farm he's pushing right towards me and i had to let them pass at about 30 yards not not i wanted to peek so bad to see if they were by me but just don't look don't look don't look i know they're gonna get by me hunt the does i guess that'd be my 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 best bet and you know you're but way better bow hunter than me man you know how to hunt those deer just do what you do and hunt the does because they're they're the post rut those bucks are still sniffing around a little bit if there's does there's bucks you chase rut and mule deer more than any of us up there in montana so you know the game. Yeah. Um, gosh, everything you said so true, though. Yeah, when you mention it, it brings it to the forefront of my mind. Um, but, yeah, I just got done with 11 days of hunting late-season mule deer during the rut. I came up empty but chased some really good bucks, a lot of deep snow, big mountains, dude. It's just a riot. But that's uh, that helps me out for the desert. So like what you were first saying, you were first saying um, that you don't still hunt much, but that desert's so flat. And so there isn't, yeah. like, master vantage points out there like there would be in Wyoming or Montana or someplace. So what you end up doing is, like – 
hunting your way through country and then just glassing a ton. So every new ridge you're getting to, you're glassing. Every new little country that exposes itself, you're glassing. You're just constantly glassing. And then it sounds like also when you're moving in on these deer, you're constantly pulling up your binos to pick out an ear through the brush or to see yes. that doe or to, to see them so you can make a good approach. It's, it's kind of what I gathered from that. Yeah, you're exactly right. And like, cause I have guys up here, you know, that are Wyoming guys that haven't been down south. And I'm like, I tell these my buddies, I'm, it's the hardest hunt of any of the hunts that I do. Anything that I've ever chased, chasing mule deer down south is the hardest. And I, I think it's just mm, the bucks are more keyed in, or it's just you got the added factor of does being around. You're not chasing a bachelor herd of three bucks in the high country, bedded up under a nice rock outcropping. Like, you got you got does that are all around, and then it's so uh so flat and those deer spread out you know the deer herd say he's got six or eight does well they spread out over 80 yards from each other so you're focused right in front of you well 30 degrees to your right there's a doe standing on top of a sand dune out there looking at you that you didn't see or she just walked to the top of a dune or she's looking through (laughs) a mesquite bush at you or eating the top of a cactus and she catches you moving and you're like oh i was looking to my left like yeah i think that's been my biggest thing is just slow glass and stop and pick points like through my stock or through my approach getting out while I'm walking is like all right I'll make it to that yucca bush and then I'm going to ease my eyes up through that yucca and really scan then from that yucca bush I find another bush and I'm like all right I make it to that bush and that's kind of how I just plan my approach out there that's how I've done it the whole time it's just ah, and I don't it it takes a lot of patience because you want to take four steps but you got to take two steps like two steps glass Two steps glass. Like, you want to take four, but, man, two is where, where it counts. <laughs> man, it makes such, it resonates so so much with me. You just describe, like, hunting, rutting mule deer. They're so difficult. And like you say, you see them, and there's a group. And, yeah, you're stalking in, and, and then pretty soon you've got a doe at 40 yards, you know. So you got to hold still, yeah. even though that buck may still be 100 yards out or something. And you may end up sitting there for half an hour, maybe 40 minutes until she finally moves off, and then you're on the play again. And then you get held up by another doe, or, like, as it got really into the late season, the deer would get up and get to bigger groups, bigger numbers. It was groups of 20 does, and there'd be two or three bucks in the herd. And so, God dang, I'd play all day long on him, Sam. I'd chase him up <laughs> a ridge lines and basins, and I could have shot, like, I'd probably every one of those does at a different point during the stock, like 40, 50 yards, and I'd have to freeze. And and I could have shot the two other bucks I wanted, but the 130-inch, like, he just never w- would leave himself at the back of the herd or come back to check a doe. It just never worked out. But that's like hunting, rutting mule deer, is you are just hunting those does. you got to freeze when, when you're exposed. And then you just got to hold still and have patience, no matter how cold it is, no matter what's going on, and then creep in. And I, in that desert, I bet you really pay attention to the sound of your feet, too. Man, those deer are good at hearing noises, aren't they? Oh, yeah. And they are. It's ridiculous down there. And I've, I've, I'm, I'm big. I never wear shoes. I've lost shoes. I killed a bull in 2013, <laughs> and I, I lost my shoes. I packed them out. No kidding. I packed a bull out, and I didn't have shoes. I haven't told a lot of people that story, but so I'm, I'm big on taking my shoes off. And uh, 
that was before on X when you could hit mark my waypoint or whatever. I that was before that. I Dude, I, I'm only I'm only laughing because I've been there. But yeah, tell me the story. So you you lost your shoes on the bull. So bulls are the worst because you take off your shoes and you can end up miles away from. It. Tell me the story about yeah. it. I gotta hear it, and then I'll tell you my uh, lose my boot story <laughs> okay. so you feel better. So this was this this was open country. This was open country elk hunting, and it's deep sleep brush and. I saw this calf leave a water hole, and I mean, she's, uh, it was five, six hundred yards from me, a single calf yearling, and she's just, man, 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 and she's making tons of noise, and I can glass for like a mile, mile and a half in this place, and I, she runs up and goes over this giant ridge, well, I'm just behind her, and I'm just at a jog, and I follow this elf, I roll over the top of this hill, Brian, and I don't know what, she was just thirstier than the herd, I get to the top of the hill and I look below me and there's like 40 head and there's a giant bull in the bottom and he's just screaming. Anyways, I bail off down in there, get the wind right to my face. I sneak down in. All of a sudden I cow call a couple times and all the cows start coming at me. This is, I tried calling. I don't know why, but I did. Anyways, they, all the cows start coming around me. I got cows. One of those times where I'm just tucked in this and there's sagebrush, literally not a tree like cedar cedar junipers but not big tall cedar junipers like uh like a couple six foot scrub junipers and he's raking one of them at 57 yards and then he just boom starts coming at me coming at me coming at me long story short i stick him right in the middle of his cows I, i'll never forget it when i drew back you know when all the elk just picked their heads up because i had no idea i was there but i had to raise up out of the sagebrush and i'll never forget that like in my peripheral vision seeing all these cows heads just boom 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 all at alert anyways I stick an arrow in him, and I got my shoes on right now at this point. I stick an arrow in him. He, they, the whole herd like runs out to like 90 or 100, but just out of my sight. And they like are like all cow talking, and cows and calves are chirping, and he's just standing there humped up. And I'm like, I gotta get closer. So my backpack, I'd already ditched it behind me 150 yards. I'd snuck up another 150. Cow called, shoot him kick my shoes off and I'm going to make this final like 40 yards just to get a second arrow. And I hit him pretty good, you know, but you always, I'll shoot him until they fall or until I can't see him anymore. Me I'm kind of one of those guys. Elk are so okay. tough. You have to. So exactly. So this is my second arrow and I, they kick my shoes off. I put the stock up on him. I whack him and I hit him hard and he goes with the herd. So that adrenaline of going with the herd, I think took him because he went about 400 yards I mean, 400, maybe 500 yards. And he went down. Well, it's getting dark, and I'm so excited. And first thing I do is I want to run back, and I'm on like kind of an open ridge where there's no sagebrush. I'm like, well, my backpack's right there. I'll go get it. Come get my boots, and I'll go back. I ran back, got my backpack, and I got my headlamp, and I'm like, go down to find my shoes, and I can't find them, and I can't find them, and I can't find them. And I wander around there in my socks forever, and I had an extra pair of stocking socks. So I got two pairs of wool socks on now. And I'm wandering around the sagebrush, and I can't find my boots. So I go take care of the bull, get him cut up, and and I come back, and I'm in my socks, and I start packing quarters. I didn't have to go super far. And so I – and I not that far. A little ways, not that far. Anyways, I pack all the quarters, and I go back in the daylight and never found that pair of shoes. <laughs> never found that pair of shoes. But it was on the second shot – Second shot of a bull. It wasn't even the first. And he would have been dead at the first one. It was a good shot, but hindsight. But like I said, I, I shoot until either my quiver's empty, they fall down, or they run off. Like <laughs> So it was a second arrow shot, and I lost my shoes. I was so excited in the moment. If I'd have missed him, I probably would have found them. But anyways. That was that was it. I have lost a pair of shoes. Yeah, that's so funny, <laughs> Sam. Yeah, well, um, I'm with you. I can relate. 
I found mine, but only because I had help from a buddy. And I we um we hiked way back in, you know, over and through this drainage and up in this vantage point. I really wanted to hunt this back drainage for bears. I thought it'd be pretty good. And we got back there instantly. We just see this tanker chocolate. And um, so I tell my buddy, I said, I, I'm going to go for him. I got to cut him off and he's working this ridge. And so I dive down and I get like on the one side of the ravine and I, I flip my boots off and I set him right in the open grass right there where I can see him. And then I dive in the canyon. I dive to go cut off this bear and um, I cat and mouse this bear. I actually that, it, you know, the truth is that I, I shot that bear. I got a really good 50 yard shot and I smacked him right in the shoulder and it rolled him. He rolled over and roared, bit back at his shoulder and, and he ended up cruising. I never got the penetration I need. The bear never died. My oh, buddy watched from the vantage oh. point and watched that bear cruise miles. But yeah, I just shoulder bladed him and I got a really short draw. I'm like 26 and a half inch draw length. You know, I shoot a heavy arrow, but Man, if I hit a shoulder blade, I mean, I can get through some spots there, but sometimes I hit yeah. a shoulder blade and that thing just bounces out, you know, and that's what happened on that uh-huh. bear. Um, so anyways, I went back to go find my boots after I rolled that bear and then go check in with my buddy because he was on the scope, you know, to see what happened. And I actually thought yep. I had killed the bear. But uh, so anyways, I go back and I could not find my boots for the life of me. I, I wandered <laughs> around that spot where I thought my boots were for an hour. Finally, my buddy saw me down in the socks and he was way up on the, the ridge or whatever. I can't. Maybe I knew I wasn't going to get the bear or saw it go away or may, I was going to go up to the ridge and meet him. But he finally had to walk down and lose all that elevation and came down and He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, I cannot find my boots. And um, he he finally wandered upon them. And I had been looking right around them. They did just totally blended in in the open country. So I lost my boots for about an hour and a half. I thought I was going to have to walk out of there in my <laughs> socks. But I think your story is better never finding it. Uh, oh, God. I, I lost it my, my – it's, it's a funny one. Oh, my gosh. I lost my pack one time. Uh, in in a gnarly mountain range in Montana, way back in, and ditched my pack and went in for water and came back to find my pack, and I couldn't find it in the timber in there. Man, I searched for like an hour. I went back to that lake so many times and walked that trail I had remembered back, you know, so many times. Uh-huh. Finally, I stumbled upon it, and I was like maybe 15 yards low or something. I'd taken the wrong trail, or who knows? What but a helpless. Feeling. Oh my it's gosh! You do, you have so you have all your life in there. Your spotting scope and your tripod and like you know, it's just like we're working class guys. Like I can't replace all that stuff. Like that is my life no. in that backpack. And I just ditched it. Now I can't find it. But they, you know, backpacks a little bit different than a pair. But there was no way I was walking out of there without my backpack. But. You had a dead bull on the ground, a great big bull on the ground, and and couldn't find your boots. You were in a little bit better scenario. It was like, well, that's the that's the price of admission. I lost my boots, but I killed a giant bull, so I think I'll take it, or at least I would have taken uh, that it, deal. It was one of those years too. It was open country, and it was it was early September, and in that sagebrush country, I I don't always wear like nice big mountain hiking boots. Like I was wearing just some like like trail runners, like Morel trail runners. So it was like, yeah, they were a $60 pair. It wasn't like it was a $350 pair of hunting. Like, it was a $60 pair of like trail runners because I always went light out in that country. The cactus were hard on my toes, but I always go light out there when I'm in that kind of country. But anyways, yeah, that was that was my story. But back to the desert, yeah, I've kicked off my shoes down there, and there's those things called sand bur- Everything sticks you down there. Though. Everything, I've, dude. It's just brutal. Oh, 
And then you'd be like, no matter, I'll put my wool socks on and I'll get to stalking and I'm not really watching where I'm walking. I am, but I'm not. And I've taken steps and I've stepped on stuff and I've looked at the pad of my foot and it's pure spines of sharp things stuck. And then you go to sit down and then you get them stuck in your ass and here you are like trying to uh-huh. pull them out of your feet and the deer's 80 yards away. I mean, that country is ruthless when it comes to things that bite, scratch, poke. Oh. Cactus is the worst, oh. right? And you get pretty good at oh. avoiding it like over the years or whatever, but it's inevitable. Eventually, you're going to stick a sock foot in there. You're going to get excited or have drop to scramble knee, quick. and oh, yeah, dude, put yeah. a knee in it and kneel down real quick oh, yeah. and put right in it. And those little uh, fibers is. stay in you forever. But yeah, I did it this year. I sat in a we oh, we had just spotted a big six point bull came out on the ridge and I sat down instantly without looking behind me when you know better. <laughs> and I sat right square into it. And so you're trying to watch this bull, but I've got cactus all over me and it's through my pants and my long johns and it's it's uh, through uh, every one of my layers, but I had to strip down just bare ass. I don't know how many times and just pick those things out of my pants and uh, long <laughs> out johns. of me. And then it's, it's stuck in your long johns oh. for a week. And just, those little ones are stuck in your long Every time you put your long johns on, it's just rubbing. Yeah, you get them all pulled them. out, and then you pull up your pants, and you stick a bunch more in you. Yeah, you know, it's horrible. Yeah. That cactus yeah. is ruthless. But, um, yeah, well, you know, and just like we – like at the very beginning of the podcast, how we talked about experience is the best teacher – you know, same thing with just like all facets of hunting and life, really. You just learn how not to screw up, you know? And so like losing your pack or losing your shoes, like it's a good thing in the grand scheme because then you just always mark your shoes with orange. You always put them in a location. You always look at that location five times. I don't know about you, but I'm paranoid about losing my stuff. So like nowadays, if I ditch my pack, I know that spot. I mean, there's no way I'm ever going to oh. lose a pack or boots again because I've made that mistake. I've learned from it. So, you know, I'll leave uh, – I like to bring Hunter Orange with me in my pack, and then I'll leave that uh-huh. on my shoes or leave it on my outside of my pack just to be safe but then i remember that spot like like that is my home i have to remember this spot where's the tree where's the rock where am i headed um but yeah you get pretty cognizant of it don't you once you make that mistake oh you do and i'll tell you what i'm a cheater now i let technology i will literally if i pull out my phone when i in the middle of a stock and i mark right where i i put an x right where i put my boots i put an x right where i drop my pack i mean you're right. That's I've been doing can, that lately and, too. That does oh, work so my, good. My tracker's turned on, so I did. I like if it's dark, like the other day, this this fall it was dark, and I was headed back to where I ditched my pack, and I just had to follow my tracks. You know, I mean, it was pitch black, and my headlamp was on me, so I can't. It was pitch black, but still, I hear him with a headlamp looking out. I just followed my tracks on my on my Onyx, and it was only thirty yards away, but it was in the dark, and yeah, I mark everything with my Onyx now, big big time. Yeah, that's that's smart, but, Sam. Yeah. Yeah, I do it's that. Work. I do yeah. that same thing now too. And it, but it's easy to not do it when you're on a stock or you're in a hurry. You just yeah. go, oh, I'll remember it. Yeah. But anymore, I just hit it anyways. I just like I'm just gonna uh-huh. hit it anyways, just because. Mm-hmm. You're totally right there. Or at least have your tracker on. Like when I go into a stock, I always make sure I got my tracker on, so it's following me. So I got those little blue dotted lines. That I can at least kind of walk that line back. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> smart. Okay, it should be right here. I'll tell you a funny one. Um, my wife killed a bull last year with her bow, and she shot him in a big burn. And there was not a tree, and he shot him right at dark. And we were about six miles in, and I was like, I'm gonna wait. We're gonna go get horses, and I'll come back in the morning with my horses. And so. 
we kill it out in the middle of this big burn. There's not a tree to hang a quarter on. There's not even like trees to like, cause I'll stack sometimes. Um, I'll take logs and just kind of make them like a pallet, you know, it's kind of lay them space and I'll lay my quarters right on that. Just so they can get airflow below them and above them. If the wind, you know, good, cool, cool ground. Yeah. Just so they're up off the ground anyway. Makes sense. But I, I didn't, there wasn't even a tree so that they would be shadowed. You know, if the sun came up, I didn't want them just baking. So, here I am with these quarters, and I'm trying to be tough guy. And I got this alcohol quarter. I got it in game bags, and I got like two many quarters. And I'm trying to shuffle 400 yards over to the trees. Well, I get about halfway, and one of the quarters kind of falls off. The game bag falls off my shoulder and lands. And I'm just like, ah, hell with it. You know, it's too heavy. I'm just going to go the rest of it. Get 200 yards. I get the one over to where I'd stacked everything kind of in these jack pines. I built my pallet on the ground. Um, we're not in bear country, obviously, so I don't got anything up. And I'm walking back, walking back. Do you think I could find that dang quarter laying out in that burn in the dark? <laughs> in <laughs> so, a white bag, probably. It wasn't a white bag, but it didn't have any of the reflective stuff on it. So my headlamp wasn't hitting it, and I'm wandering around. And then my wife comes over to me. She's still jacked up. She killed a, a pig of a bull last year. And Good for she's her. She's walking around. She's, she's like, what are, you, what are you looking for? I'm like, I dropped a quarter. <laughs> like, I can't find a freaking elk quarter laying here in a white bag in a burn. And I'm stumbling all over. So here I pull out my phone. Well, I had made so many zigzags, and I tell you, I left my tracker on. It looked like a little kid had just scribbled all over my map. <laughs> so I didn't even have one. But anyway, long story short, 10 minutes into it, I find this quarter. I'd been like pretty much stepping over the top of it, but... So sometimes if you got your tracker on, you can track up your map too much, and you won't find where you were when you dropped whatever you lost. So that's <laughs> yeah. that's one of my funny Onyx hunting stories right there. Right, uh, trying to find an elk, elk quarter in the dark. Man, <laughs> yeah, congratulations to your wife. That's really cool. You got her bow hunting with you. Yeah, yeah, she's uh she really took on to it. She killed three really good bulls with her bow first three years, and then this year she shot just lower i'll shoot him in four for four on her first four years and she she shot low it's 27 yards and i told her i was like the bug got you that 20 pin hit right where he wanted he didn't quite get that 25 up and just you know a slower shooting bow and she clipped him right across the bottom of the brisket just just grazed him and i was like ah but it was a fun experience but yeah she's been very fortunate and killed she's three for four and killed some that bull she killed last year was a like ten year old bull too. He was a really cool old bull. So, man, that's so cool. You got oh, some some uh, good oh, elk meat in your bull. freezer. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, mm-hmm. we. She definitely keeps the freezer full. If I can't get it done, she dang sure does. Man, that's <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, um, it is. It's fun. Sam, dude, I've really enjoyed this conversation. You're such a diehard bow hunter. You've got such great insight into bow hunting just through your experiences. Man, I've really enjoyed it. Well, I can't thank you enough for having me on, Brian. It's been, uh, I really look up to the Eastmans and the Eastman thing, and it's really cool. I've always read your articles and stuff. And before you were even, I just remember when you would write in, I remember looking at your pictures, and like, who is this guy killing these giant high country mule deer? And so it's, it's a, a pleasure to get to talk to you and finally get to meet you over the phone. It's, it's awesome to talk to you. Big fan of the podcast, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thanks a bunch. Well, I've got your uh, contact saved in in my phone. Um, make sure to check in with me and keep in touch. And, dude, I'm going to call on you to be on the podcast again. You did awesome on the podcast. Oh, well, thanks. I had a lot of fun. That was it, was it was cool. Thanks for having me on. Yep. You I bet, guess. man. We'll talk soon. All right. Good luck in Arizona. Thank you. Hey, what's happening, guys? 
Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week I have on Sam Davis. So I just met Sam like a handful of weeks ago. He tagged me in a post of his with this giant velvet muley, and he said, Persistence is deadly. Uh, I just I thought it was so good. I liked the post, and I followed him, and then I've been following what he's up to. Sam is a heck of a bow hunter. The guy just flat out gets it done. And so I kind of get to know him on the podcast, asking him where he's from. I actually thought he was from the southern United States, but he lives uh, right here in Wyoming. Uh, one state away. I guess I'm in Montana, but same state as Eastman's right there in Wyoming. Um, the guy is an absolute killer. And I don't want to say I'm surprised by the podcast because I I knew you get two like-minded bow hunters together. It's going to be good. But Sam hit this one out of the park. Such a great in-depth conversation on bow hunting. So I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I know you guys are going to enjoy it too. Sponsors for today's show, uh, Matthews Bows. I really believe Matthews is building the best bows on the market. Um, I, I have been in love with their last few years' models. The the Triax, the Vertix was the best bow I ever owned, and now the VXR. Uh, they just keep outdoing themselves. Um, so low on vibration, so low on sounds, a quiet bow, and just forgiving bows to shoot. They sit really good at full draw. I mean, that that research and design team over at Matthews has outdone themselves. You know, as years go on with these bow and arrows, you know, they're, they're not... They've kind of limited out what they can get as far as speed and, and performance out of these bows, although it improves a little bit each year. But where they really improve is the forgiveness, that which, which helps in all situations, but helps with your groups, helps shooting at animals. And so, uh, yeah, I'm just in love with these Matthews bows. They've got great components as well. Um, best shooting bows on the market as far as I'm concerned. And I'm I'm proud to be a, a part of it and be shooting a Matthews bow. Um yeah, just a great bow. So if you guys are in the market, the best thing to do is just to try out these bows and shoot them and see which one fits you. Um, but make sure that you shoot that new Matthews. It is a shooter. Um, so I want to thank those guys. Um, I also want to thank Onyx Maps. Uh, Onyx is a great company. I use Onyx uh, as much or more than any other company out there. I I just absolutely love their program. I use it for scouting. I use it in real-time hunting. Um, I use it, you know, you can see public, private. You can see land ownership. You can see, like in Montana, we have block management. That's on there, which is private land that's open to the public. Um, and they have links on there through that program to be able to link into Montana FWP to see the rules in that particular block management. They also have access yes on there, which is Idaho's uh, private land public access program. Um, gosh, they've got weather on there now. They're always improving their map. They have so many overlays as far as uh, burns. Um, you can look at topography, aerial imagery. Um, this is a it's so advantageous for blue collar bow hunters to be using this on X. So uh, I'm sure the majority of you guys are already using it and loving it like I am. But if you're not, make sure you check out Onyx Maps and check out what they offer for Western hunters. Just an amazing program. And thanks to those guys for their continued support. And with that. Um, got some good beyond the grids out. Uh, I know, uh, Guy Eastman has just fallen in love with hunting mountain lions. You probably heard that on our 200th episode. 
Uh, so he's been up uh, in a real good unit hunting mountain lions up there. They actually have uh, his film from last year's hunt. Um, I believe it's down in Colorado. Um, uh, but they have that last year's hunt uh, mountain lion that he harvested that uh, uh, he hit and came out of the tree and got stuck in a drainage ditch. And it, I think it was an absolute rodeo. So uh, make sure to check out that film. Um Brandon Mason's son was on before that. Uh, Hunter um, did a great job harvesting that that good mule deer buck. So just some awesome content out there. Make sure you check out our Beyond the Grid, which is our internet TV show, which you can find on YouTube. And then also make sure to check out uh, Eastman's Outdoor TV. I had that elk hunting episode that came out a couple weeks ago and then the antelope hunt that i shared with uh brandon mason like a half episode on there i'm uh, really proud of the way they came out and so uh make sure to check those out set your dvr um look they play multiple times a week and if you missed it uh it'll replay um multiple times this year so just be on the lookout for it but uh uh, just an awesome edit that that eastman's did for me with all that footage really proud of that one and um yeah, make sure to check out the magazines. Uh, I got an article coming up here in the next one. Um, just uh, great content in there. And then right now, this time of year, I'm always studying that MRS, that Members Research section, which just gives you um, which units are good with which weapons. Um, and it does so much to break it down. You know, what units are producing the big Boone and Crockett bucks, the Pope and Young bucks, uh, success rate, buck to doe ratios. All this information is all compiled in one place that you can look at that's broke down in each state. Uh, so you can get a good feel for where the, the good hunting out west is. And it, it's, um, you know, we have so much that's right around us or in our home states that we can hunt. But, gosh, these bordering states just, just offer so much. And for the blue-collar guy that can, you know, buy a tag there and then get this awesome opportunity to see the best that these other states have to offer – um, I, I just think that's a great thing, and the MRS allows you to do that. So make sure to check that out, and um, some great podcasts. This was a great podcast. I loved doing this one with Sam, and uh, gosh, I got some good ones coming up too. So super excited to bring that to you. With that, my buddy Dan has made it to my house here. So I'm going to get this podcast out, send it over to uh, my buddy Scott Reekers over there at Eastman's, and uh, I'm going to check out here for uh, a week or two and go hunt the desert. So really looking forward to it, going to soak in some sunshine, have some fun, uh, hopefully get my sneak on and um, see what I can do either on a muley or a coos. I'm open to either one, so uh, it's going to be a riot. I'll uh, be sure to record some podcasts while I'm down there, maybe an IG Live, something like that. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And as always, guys, thanks for the support. I really love doing this podcast and connecting with these other bow hunters and then sharing it with you guys. So you guys are the best. You're the reason why this this podcast succeeds. So um, I really appreciate it. Oh, okay. Um, gosh, I for some reason I thought I was doing the ending, not the intro, but we still got a podcast to get to. Um, so here's the podcast. Sam Davis is on. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney. Let's get this podcast started, and then I'll do the ending.